0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City,
1: this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up.
0: The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is app. Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So Eric Bilstead, I never like to blame the victim of, of crimes. It, I, I just don't, I don't like to do it. And I'm one of these guys who, even though I recognize the reality, the idea that you know, the police now tell us, when it's 20 degrees below zero, you still can't warm up your own car in your driveway, especially in Milwaukee, because you have roving bands of people that are driving around just looking for that unattended car that they can steal. And I, I, my point has always been, yeah, I guess that's good advice, but what what does it say about communities where crime is so out of control that you can't let your car just idle in a driveway, right? That's that's been my point. So I never like to blame the victim. Having said that, you see the story this morning about the uh, car theft outside the George Webbs? Uh, Okay, here, here, (laughs) all right, this is the way Channel 12 reports it. Three suspects are in custody after chasing a stolen Uber car near downtown early Wednesday, Milwaukee police confirmed. All right, the Uber driver, all right, so what what ends up happening, let me me leave out the, the dazzling detail, Uber driver has the car stolen, Around 3 o'clock in the morning, he had parked outside of the George Webb, so North Old World 3rd Street. Okay, so he had parked. What happened is three guys come in. They steal the car. Yeah. And then he reports it. Officers see the stolen car driving recklessly about 4 a.m. near 12th Street. They try to pull the car over. The car speeds away. Officers chase and then karma or whatever, the car's axle breaks near James Lovell Street and West Wisconsin Avenue, so these guys have stolen a lemon of a car. you know. So it it breaks down, so they end up getting caught. Here's the dazzling detail. The Uber driver tells 12 News, when he entered the George Webb restaurant on North 3rd Street about 3 o'clock in the morning, he left his car running. Okay, now I don't want to victimize the victim, but seriously, you're on 3rd Street at 3 in the morning, and you decide to leave your car running when you go into a Web's. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, really. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the surprise would have been if the car had still been there when he came out with his bag of burgers. I mean, I, I mean, and, and again, it's like, I, I don't want to victimize the victim, but... What could you possibly be thinking to leave your car running 3rd Street in Milwaukee at 3 o'clock in the morning when you go into a restaurant? That is almost like hanging out a sign saying, please, steal me. I mean, the only thing that the guy could have done to make the car more attractive to the thieves would have been if he had a color TV in the front seat (laughs) along with it. So, (sighs) what can you say <laughs> I mean, I don't, it, it is i mean it's, it, we often talk about dumb criminal stories and again i, I want to mm-hmm. again I'm, I'm cautious about like victim the guy's car was stolen but you know for the love of god he left the car running outside of george webbs at three o'clock in the morning and then we're surprised that the car ends up getting stolen don't know what you can say to that i think you <laughs> just did <laughs> that's it here come steal me all right I have something good up on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. This is worth this is worth the price of, of admission. Actually I sent out two tweets on this. If you will remember during the, the Super Bowl Bud Light decided that they were going to launch these attack ads, essentially on Miller Lite, saying Miller Light's made with corn syrup. And, you know, we've talked about whether that's a successful ad campaign, whether anybody cares about that, et cetera, et cetera. But those, those were the ads. It really, they kind of threw down. They said, okay, we're going after Miller Lite. And they did it during ads in the Super Bowl. There was one ad at the Super Bowl that did not. Did not go after Miller Light or, or Coors Light, and that was the ad that Bud Light did with the tie in to Game of Thrones Game of Thrones, which is the big HBO series I, I think the last ep- eight episodes start airing sometime early next month as as I recall and i 'm one of the few people i 've only watched the first season because I intend to read the books and i don't I, I like to read the i 've read the first book. I don't like to watch stuff on TV until I've read the book. So until I get around to doing that, then I'll go back and binge watch them. So I I haven't, I don't know what happens beyond the first season and beyond the first book. Um, but, but in any event, Game of Thrones is a big thing. Budweiser cuts this deal with HBO and Game of Thrones. And if you recall, there was one, one ad that wasn't, again, an attack at Miller Lite. What it was is it showed all these people in a Game of Thrones type of battle featuring the Bud knight, Bud Light knight, you know, who would appeared in all those things. And all of a sudden, you don't know exactly what the ad is, where it's going, but then you see this dragon fly over and the dragon kills all these people, including the Bud Light. The Bud Light knight. So th- this character is killed, essentially, to the extent that, you know, you kill fictional characters. But, th- you know, Bud Light did it and Budweiser did it as a way to tie in with the, the Game of Thrones and get all this attention. Okay, that was at the Super Bowl. Of course, what starts tomorrow? You've got the the official kickoff of the NCAA basketball tournament. I know you've got a couple playing games over the last day or two. Miller Lite is coming up with a series of ads that tweak Bud Light, and I found the ad. I and um, I have them. I found a link to Ad Week, but if you follow me on twitter it 's at jeff Wagner six twenty got a link now to the ads that you can watch, but essentially what happens is the ads pick up right after the filming of the the Bud Light commercial where the bud light night say that fast three times meets his his demise and it it's sort of it, it's they 're fun. And you can see what Miller Lite is doing to kind of respond to Bud Light. Now, whether anybody cares about this, I don't, I don't know whether to sell one more can of beer to one person. I, I kind of doubt. But it is kind of a back-and-forth, in-your-face thing. And if you want to see the two ads, at least that they produced thus far, on this that pick up in the aftermath. Now, these are Miller Lite ads. That pick up in the aftermath of that Bud Light Game of Thrones ads. You can follow me; it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty, and I've got links to them, and you can watch them courtesy of Ad Week. So check that out. When we come back, we don't talk about sports often on this program, but two interesting stories from the world of sports, all related to the Green Bay Packers. We discuss next. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ
1: so delighted to have you with us well in the world of sports it it was a, a big day and kind of a sad day yesterday for packers fans now one of the things that happens over time is that Nowadays, it is unusual for players to start their career with one team and finish their same career with that same team. It, it, it happens, but the days of Robin Yount playing his entire career with the Brewers, it, it doesn't happen a lot. And especially in free agency, what happens is players have to make tough decisions. They want to make as much money as they can, given that there's a limited opportunity and window for them to do it. Teams... Well, I mean, teams have a philosophy that, you know, even though they're great players, if they're on the downhill slide, what you want to do is you always want to get rid of somebody maybe a year too soon as opposed to a year too late. Some of, some of the things that over the years as a sports fan that have really broken my heart have been watching icons end their careers in different uniforms. It's just even thinking about football. Johnny Unitas, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He was a quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. Well, the Colts, at the end of his career, decided they didn't want him. Unitas wasn't ready to give up the game, so he ended up up playing for the San Diego Chargers. Now, no offense to the San Diego Chargers, but it just didn't seem right to see Johnny Unitas playing for the San Diego Chargers. Joe Namath, great quarterback for the New York Jets. At the end of his career, he ended up playing for the Los Angeles Rams. It, It just never seemed right, but at the same time, these were great athletes who their teams didn't want to pay them, were ready to move on, whatever, and, you know, they ended up moving on. I, you know, you can make the same argument locally, Brett Favre. I mean, Brett Favre in a New York Jets uniform, Brett Favre in a Minnesota Vikings uniform just did not seem right. But you can't fault it. The Packers wanted to move on in that case, and if the Jets or the Vikings thought that Favre could give them a chance to win, well, okay, that that's how this works. Well, yesterday the Packers that are in not, if you don't want to describe it as a rebuilding mode, they're certainly in a reloading mode. You've got a new coach that's come in. You've got a second year general manager, and you've got an organization that realizes time is ticking on the Aaron Rodgers clock. He's going to be what, 35. Um, the team has underperformed the last two years, two years in a row without making the playoffs. There's a lot of pressure to win now. And so what, the Packers did is for the first time in a long time, they went out and they signed a a bunch of free agents early in the free agency period. They spent a bunch of money. The problem is, when you spend a bunch of money on players, that leaves less money available to re-sign your players. And it's very apparent that the Packers had made the decision that it was time to move on from a couple players who were a big part of the last decade or so in Green Bay. Randall Cobb, 29 years old, drafted in the second round in 2011, a receiver. And Randall Cobb has been a part of some really, really big Packer plays over the years. Matter of fact, if you want to think about the highlight of last year's season, it was probably... Cobb catching that pass from Rodgers, the first game against the Chicago Bears that goes for a touchdown at the end of the game, and the Packers win like, 24-23. to Randall Cobb's had a number of big plays like that over the years. Cobb is at a big contract, though. After his rookie contract, he signed a huge contract. He's been hurt a lot. Isn't to say that he wasn't a great teammate. Isn't to say that he doesn't have talent. But he was hurt a lot and the Packers decided they needed to move on. So the announcement yesterday was that Randall Cobb is leaving the Packers. He's signing with the Dallas Cowboys for um, a one-year, $5 million deal. Uh, Clay Matthews drafted at the end of the first round back in 2009. Clay Matthews with the long, flowing, blonde hair, um, Pro Bowl linebacker, Been a part of, I mean, he's probably been the face of the Packers defense since, you know, he came here in 2009, responsible for, you know, a lot of the Packers' successes over the years. His contract, his contract was up. And the decision that the Packers had to make was do you continue to go with Clay Matthews, who's getting older, 33, he'll be 33 in May, which, you know, for linebackers in the NFL, that's, that's kind of getting up there. So he was older. Um, he had some injury issues over the last several years, hadn't stopped him from playing, but he'd had some injury issues. And the Packers had gone out and they'd signed a couple people who were outside rushers, essentially kind of filling his position in any event. Clay Matthews decides to move on. He signs with the Los Angeles Rams, and he's an L.A. guy. That's where he grew up. That's where he lives. Um, maximum deal of $16.75 million over two years. So let, let's say it's a little bit north of $8 million a year. A lot of money, but not necessarily some of the stupid money that ends up getting thrown around. What happened was the Packers, I think, clearly made the decision that it was time to move on. They needed to get better. They needed to get younger. They were concerned with injuries, whatever. And so they let these two guys, who were together with Aaron Rodgers and and maybe a couple other players, they were the faces of the franchise. And just like the Packers let Jordy Nelson go last year. They let Randall Cobb go. They let um, Clay Matthews go. And it's one of those things that, on the one hand, if you're looking at this with your heart, you say, boy, I'm a Packers fan. I mean, these guys were the face of the franchise. It's, it's just not going to be the same without them. Your head, on the other hand, says, well, OK, they were getting up there in age. Clearly, they weren't performing. They weren't producing like they did four or five years ago. Maybe this was a smart move. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are the Packers going to regret letting Randall Cobb and or Clay Matthews go? Or is this just what happens in the game? You've got to make these kind of decisions. They made the decision objectively, and they did the right thing. Are they going to regret letting them go in free agency? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Welcome back. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon.
2: Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff.
1: Are the Packers going to regret letting these guys go?
2: Well, we don't know. It's a roll of the dice. I'm sad to see Randall Cobb and uh, Clay Matthews go, but it's, I guess it's time for a refresh and uh, roll of the dice. There could be a new Clay Matthews coming up and a new Randall Cobb. Who knows?
1: Well, right, and, and that is look. I don't fault these guys going if they had a better opportunity and had a chance to make more money. That the career is finite, and I guess I don't fault the Packers either because, like we were talking about a couple minutes ago, you want to let players go. A year too soon before you know keeping them a a year too long there's a lot of money involved and i just think the packers figured they they could get better and younger and and we're not talking about clay matthews when we're he's 24 we're talking about clay matthews when he's 33 and that is a different player
2: uh yeah and you want to have them let go in their glory years
1: well, right. I mean, thanks. Thanks for calling. And again, it, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, this is this is from a fan's perspective. You like to think that the players that you grow up with and you 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 know you root for are going to finish their careers there, but that that just that rarely rarely happens. And it's particularly, it rarely happens in football with the great players. Mark and Sheboygan. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Uh Good afternoon. I think that we're going to regret it. I think that uh, the The older players have a connection with the community that you you can't deny. Like you said, they're the face of the franchise. Um, You get excited if you see them in a food store somewhere, even when they're not wearing the uniform. The charity work that they do, I mean, all that is all part of the game. It's all valuable. Mm -hmm. Plus the wisdom that they, they gain playing the game. You know, those 10 years, 11 years there, I mean, you can't. Some of that wisdom, they may not be as hyper as they were when they were younger, but at the same time, you know they can see something. They can save a play. Mm-hmm. They can save a game with with one play. With yeah. the wisdom that they gain.
1: So, how do you balance that though? You're the Packers general manager, and you've got these these guys who are the face of the franchise. But let's take an example of Randall Cobb. He, he's hurt a lot, and you know and he wants millions of dollars. And if you spend millions of dollars on him, that's millions of dollars that you can't spend on somebody else who might be able to play. I mean, how do you balance all that?
2: Well, it yeah. does get difficult, but I also know that, um, we have, we have one of the most successful franchises in the entire country. Right. And, and that stadium produces an incredible amount of income, even when these games yeah. are not playing throughout the year. I mean, there's so many, so many ways right. to look at it. You know, like you got to look at your, your, your book, um, you well,
1: know, well, no, I, I, know. I mean, you get it. Thanks for calling. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, the, the problem the Packers have is it's not necessarily how much money you have. It's how much money you can spend. There, there are salary caps and things like that, and you, you have to decide. And part of the problem the Packers have, and maybe it's a good problem, but you've got Aaron Rodgers, who may still be, I think he still is, the highest paid player in football. So he's sucking up a giant portion of the money that you have available to spend. And that that's just the way it is. So you've got to make these choices. I'm, I am sorry to see both of Go, I figured Randall Cobb because of his injury history, I figured he was going to be gone. Uh, Clay Matthews, I wish they could have figured out a way to keep him, but you know eighteen million dollars going to l a where he 's from I understand that here 's one of our texts great guys, but two injury prone skills diminishing based on their pay. regrettably football is also uh, football is also a business, and you know it is a business. Um, another text wisdom and excitement didn 't do much last year i mean that 's the reality you have to. What you have to do is the Packers have to win. And you got to give the general manager, I think, a little bit of rope saying, okay, Vic, this is what I'm going to do. They let Jordy Nelson go last year. That was a blow to the team. But you know what? It was probably the right decision. Jordy Nelson, you know, Oakland cut him this year, so he's going to resign somewhere else. But it's it's, it's just tough. Uh, You wish they could stay forever, but sometimes that's just not how it works out.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So, very glad to have you with us. 43 degrees outside. It's going to get better. Looks like it's going to be a nice weekend around here. I would say, probably about 10 years ago, one of the topics that we used to discuss on a regular basis had to do with unemployment benefits for people. About 10 years ago, right in the immediate aftermath of the Great Recession, what we saw happen is a lot of people, particularly a lot of people, a lot of middle aged people, a lot of older people, a lot of middle managers, you know, lost lost their jobs and found those jobs impossible to replace. I mean we had we had astronomically high unemployment rates um, in Wisconsin. Wisconsin was never as bad nationwide, but but nationwide certainly. And the problem was you had a lot of people who wanted to work. And we're out there and we're looking for work and we're aggressively looking for work and they just couldn't find it because the jobs were not there. That has changed dramatically over the last several years. Matter of fact, we are both as a country and certainly in the state, as, as, at least as of the time that Governor Walker left office, we're, we're pretty much close to full employment. There's always going to be some marginal unemployment because People are going to be between jobs. People are going to change jobs and say, okay, I'm, I'm quitting this one place. I'm not going to start my new job for a month or two months or, or whatever. So there's always going to be some marginal unemployment. But, but we are pretty close to full employment. And the truth of the matter is, I think in Wisconsin today and in this country today, pretty much anybody who wants to find a job can find a job. Now, that's not to say that the job is necessarily in their chosen field, right? might be a job that they feel is beneath them. It might be that they have to relocate and they don't want to relocate for a variety of reasons to find a job in their chosen field. But, I, I mean, I do believe that, you know, pretty much anybody who wants to work can find a job. Now, what happened years ago when that wasn't the case is we saw unemployment benefits, which typically are are limited to six months, that's kind of the way that this goes. Because keep in mind, unemployment benefits are paid for by employers. You know, they pay into a very, into a fund and you use that fund to then pay the unemployment benefits. When that fund runs out, a lot of times it has to be supplemented by the, the government or higher taxes on the employers or whatever. But there was a time where people you know, six months was not enough time to allow people to find a suitable job. And so what happened is we saw unemployment benefits extended um, in some cases in some states. They were extended to up to like almost two years, which is really unprecedented. That's not what unemployment benefits are intended to be. They're intended to again not be a a hammock that you just like lay in they're intended to be again a backstop for people who short-term are displaced in the labor market in any event so you had the benefits they were extended to six months and a year sometimes longer that has all been rolled back as the job market has improved and again we are very very close to full employment well into that wade's our new governor taxing tony evers and tony has come out and he said well you know what I think we need to look at unemployment, despite the fact that again, we're we're pretty much close to full employment. You lose your job, you want another job, you're pretty much able to find another job. Now again, it might not be a job that you like, it might not be in your chosen field, but you can pretty much find a job. But anyhow, here's what Evers says. He says, first of all, what I wanna do is I think we need to increase the maximum rate for unemployment benefits. Um, right now, you can get a maximum, and again, unemployment benefits are, are based on on how much you, you earned at your last job. Right now, they're capped at around $370 a week. Evers wants to raise that to $406 a week, okay? Evers then says, here's what I want to do. Right now, and I think historically, there has always been a one-week waiting period before you would be eligible for unemployment. And the the week waiting period is really for a couple purposes. First of all, it's to uh, allow allow people to kind of vet the unemployment applications to make sure that people who are applying for unemployment really are unemployed. And secondly, it's designed to deter fraud. So there's a one-week waiting period right now. Evers wants to do away with that. He wants to eliminate a provision of the law that says you can't get unemployment benefits if you're fired for your fault. <laughs> if you do something substantial fault or failure to conform to a reasonable attorney job, po- employer job policy. So you essentially, you do something that gets yourself fired. said, well, then, then you shouldn't. Right now, the law says if you get yourself fired, you you can't qualify for unemployment benefits. He wants to eliminate that provision. He wants to revise requirements for applicants to conduct work searches to qualify for benefits, um, including by giving, uh, again, people authority to define what types of job offers a person can reject and remain eligible for benefits. So, in other words, he wants to reduce the amount of time that people have to spend looking for work and he wants to give wider latitude. You get a, you're get you unemployed, you get a job offer, he wants to give you more latitude and being able to say, well, even though I applied for that job, I don't want to work there and he wants to be able to have you turn down that work without losing your unemployment benefits, and then he also wants to eliminate requirements adopted in 2015 that you submit to drug testing to receive jobless benefits. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In essence, Tony Evers wants to raise the unemployment benefits. He wants to give those benefits to people who in some cases intentionally get themselves fired. He wants to eliminate requirements as to how aggressive you have to go and look for another job. and he wants to give you more authority to turn down jobs when they are offered. Four one four seven nine that is the uh, Acunet mortgage talk and text line. I think in the world where we have almost full employment, This is what I would describe as a solution looking for a problem. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you do what Governor Evers suggests, I think, again, what you are doing is just, again, rolling out the red carpet to allow people to stay on unemployment for as long as they possibly can instead of going back to work. We saw that before in different contexts, and to me, this makes absolutely no sense at all. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. So glad to have you with us. Let's start with Paul in Horicon. Hi, Paul. Hi.
2: How's it going? Good. What do you think? I, like i told your screener i work construction i get laid off every year i've been doing it for going on 29 years and if he wants to raise my unemployment and i don't have to look for a job i'm all for it i'm well, not I, a i'm okay. not an Evers fan but
1: well part, oh, i agree okay well paul i i i get that if Look, I I, I understand from the perspective of kind of like what's in it for me. If I I get what you say, if if he wants to raise the amount of money that that you're going to get and he doesn't want to make you have to look for another job, I understand why that has an appeal to you. But if you're able to work another job, why is that the right thing? I mean, you you know, you choose to be a construction worker and, and that's great. You know, why should you be collecting unemployment? Because the weather means you can't work when you can otherwise do a job. Well, because I
2: enjoy my time off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, fair. God bless. I mean, thanks for the call, Paul. God bless you. I mean, and and that's okay. I understand you enjoy your time off. Okay. I understand why something like this would be uh, appealing to you. So, I mean, I, I, I get it. If the folks at Good Karma came to me and said, tell you what, Jeff we're going to pay you the same amount of money that we pay you now but we're going to give you i don't know 4 months off i would say mr carmison that's the best deal i have ever heard now they're not going to do that i mean because trust me i would enjoy my time off give me time off during the summer but <laughs> i guess the the fundamental question is why should you know people who are otherwise eligible and able to work why should they be allowed to collect unemployment instead of having to pursue a a job? And I I think that's a fair question that people can ask. I I mean, I think also this idea that you can essentially get yourself fired. This is what he's talking about. You can go get yourself fired, and then you're eligible to collect unemployment. You're not going to have to go out as many job interviews or submit as many resumes as you have to. And when you submit resumes and go to these job interviews and they offer you jobs, you can turn them down, and you can still collect unemployment. All right, well, what's the effect of all this going to be? It's Now, look, I, I understand that most people who are out of work, desperately want to get back to work. They, they want to find another job. But there there is a percentage of people out there that are malingerers. Now, I don't know if it's 5%. I don't know if it's 10%. I don't know if it's 20%. You know, we had those discussions back when, you know, people were unemployed for a year and a year and a half. And surprisingly, what did they find? Well, once the unemployment benefits ran out, surprise follows surprise, a lot of these people who'd been unemployed for a long period of time, mysteriously, they went back to work. Why? Because the unemployment benefits that they were getting were just when you figured out, well, I have to get up, I have to go to work, I've got to pay taxes. It, it just it wasn't worth it to go back to work for them. All right, so that's just the reality of of what was going on. And again, I'm not suggesting that's everybody. I'm not even suggesting it's a majority of people. But you look at what he is talking about doing, and what you are essentially doing is creating not a safety net, but like I said earlier, you're you're creating a hammock for people who decide, you know what. Why work at a relatively low-paying job where i got to get out of bed in the morning and I've got to, I don't know, do whatever when I can make almost as much money if I just decide not to work? This. I mean, this is the freeloader's dream, and I'm not suggesting that everybody who's on unemployment is a freeloader. Far from it. But for those people who are freeloaders, this, I mean, this is your golden ticket. Let's talk to Dennis in Thiensville. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. I listen to you guys all the time, first-time caller. Thank you. I'm in my 60s, and I've worked two or three jobs my entire life, so I wouldn't have to go on unemployment and do those kind of things. And I keep thinking, you know, the small employer is the one who is the one that's going to suffer for this because they've got to raise their taxes to keep keep all these people that are unemployed unemployed. And there's just too many people out there that are lazy. That's just that's just the whole thing of it. There's too many people that are lazy. I mean, they just they're not the work ethic that we used to have when I was young. Like I said, I'm in my 60s, and I'm just about ready to retire. But it's like, you know what? I'm tired of it, and uh, you know, I'm tired of paying taxes for somebody
1: else all the time. Well, I mean, thanks for calling. Now, in this case, it's the employers that, that pay the taxes. But, but yeah, that's the dynamic. Now, I have a text here that says um, you got to remember that the money you receive in unemployment is never equal to your regular salary. And, and yes, that's, that's true. But, I mean, here, here's the, the deal. All right, if let's say your regular salary is $450 a week – and but you got to work to get that four hundred fifty bucks. I'm just pulling numbers out of my out of uh, out of my hat out of a hat. So okay, four hundred fifty dollars a week to work. But unemployment will give you two hundred seventy five bucks uh, again. So you say, well, okay, yeah, I'm not making as much money. But you know what? I, I like sitting around the house all day I, I like the fact that I don't have to worry i would I like to make more money yeah but I like the fact that I don't have to go to work and work at this job that I really don't like so I'm willing to make that trade-off yeah I get less dough but at the same time i'm I, I get to do nothing um, I, I, a lot of people or at least a proportion of people end up making that trade-off and and that's You know, that's the problem that is there. And I I think, again, what Evers wants to do is to me what I describe as a, again, it's a solution that's looking for a problem. Right now, we have pretty much full employment. Why in the world, given the fact that almost anybody who wants to find a job and even our first caller paul paul like you know he's a construction worker so it's seasonal he says well i don't i don't like having to go out and find a job during you know the the off season well he's not saying he can't work at the job he's not saying he can't find the job he's saying well i like my time off well yeah everybody likes their time off i i get it that people end up liking their time off but that's not what unemployment is for Unemployment is to cover those periods of time, hopefully brief, when somebody has lost a job until they find another job. And what Evers is talking about doing is, what Evers is talking about doing is encouraging people, making it easier for them to avoid working. How in the world is that good social policy, especially given the time nowadays when almost anybody who wants to work can find a job? Look, this is another one of these. Here, we're going to have these giveaways. We're going to appeal to certain people. I want people to love me. So here, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. If you're unemployed here, I'm going to figure out ways to let you stay unemployed for longer and longer periods of time. Sounds good. It is the socialist dream. Stuff for doing nothing. I don't think it's good policy, though. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. The numbers are in, and I do wonder how long the environmentally sensitive people of southeastern Wisconsin including those folks in Milwaukee who talk about, well, we have to conserve and we can't have this type of development or that type of development because it will affect the environment. I mean, how long are people going to put up with the continued dumping of untreated or partially treated sewage into Lake Michigan after last week's snow melt that led to flooding, MMSD, 281 million gallons in sewer overflows? Huh. Okay, so that's stuff from people's toilet as well as rainwater going into the lake. The district also reported the release of 133 million gallons of partially treated wastewater that was blended with fully treated wastewater before being discharged to Lake Michigan. I I love the blending. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a bathtub, okay, and the bathtub holds. I don't know, four gallons of water, the fact that three and a half gallons of water are clean and a half gallon is partially treated, which means there's some floaters in it, potentially – I'm not going to be taking a bath there. And again, it's not really a problem with MMSD. The deep tunnel, this is not enough to handle these situations. The problem is never going to be solved until the folks in Milwaukee do what they should have done years and years ago, which is separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers. And until people in Shorewood and in Milwaukee do it, you're going to continue to have massive pollution of Lake Michigan. And I just wonder how much longer that is going to be acceptable. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So, Eric Bilstead, I swear I don't get the Robert Kraft story. Okay, (laughs) all right, so, no, no, okay, bear with me. The guy is a billionaire. We're talking, of course, about the billionaire owner of the New England Patriots who has a place in Florida. And at least according to authorities. Now, this is the first thing I don't get. He was having like one of his chauffeurs that would drive him like 30 minutes from whatever mansion he lives in in Florida to a strip mall. And he was going into one of these tug and rub joints, you know, which is like this massage parlor where you can get without being graphic, you can get a full body massage. All right, you know that that's that we're we're talking about a full body <laughs> massage. All right, all, right. all right. So you know he they, they charge the person that's operating this with sex trafficking and they charge a bunch of the the Johns. You know, with like soliciting prostitution. So the allegations are now. First of all, if, if I'm a billionaire, <laughs> a 77 year old billionaire, and that's what I'm looking for, you would think that there would be other easier ways you could get it than having to drive 30 minutes to a strip mall somewhere in the middle of Florida, right?
3: So let me ask. You, <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, all right. Well, oh, yes, yes. I,
1: I, right. Okay. All right. So that okay, you okay, Well,
3: you,
1: y- you being uh, of the
2: legal expertise, uh, right? explain this to me the Robert Kraft situation now. That he
1: he will not admit, he will not plead guilty. What's his plan here? Okay, well see that that's where I'm going with the Okay, so first of all, I I don't get the whole thing. I mean, do, do I understand what he was looking for? Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, I understand that part. It's just this seems to be a peculiar way to go about and, and do this. All right. So that's number one. So, all right. <laughs> number two. I'm, I have to say, if, you a, if you're a billionaire, you'd figure that there's all sorts of other ways you could do this without having to drive 30 miles to the, to the strip mall. All right. This is the other thing, and, and you touch on it, that I, I don't get. All right, the the deal apparently is and this is not unusual in a lot of these prostitution type of schemes the what what when authorities they want to make a point so they pick up not just the prostitutes not just the people that are working at the rub joint but they also pick up the patrons of of this now before we get to your question directly according to the prosecutors they've got this all on tape right. They, right. they, got, they got warrants that allowed them to put cameras up and film this. So, presumably, Robert Kraft is on tape... Having this done to him now, so this, could he have that sealed in some way? Could well, that evidence well, never see the light of day? Well, no. But that, well, if he pled guilty, yes. This is the other thing, and and that I I, I don't get the prosecutor. Now, let's assume for the sake of argument that the prosecution isn't lying. That you have billionaire owner Robert Kraft, who's on you know this table in this rub joint, having whatever is done to him, and it's on tape twice. Okay, Tw- right. It, well, right. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. The the first there two times? right. The first time was one masseuse. The second time was two masseuses. Yeah. It is. It okay. All right. So, but you're right. It's it's on tape. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, first of all i don't know about you, but I mean Wagner's rule of life you know number number four and a half is you know and unless you're a pornographic film star, and maybe even then you know you don't want to take nude pictures of yourself okay th- this I'm, I'm sure this is not a pretty sight that would be my my just off the top of my you know uh, cuff reaction to this, so the prosecution goes to him, and this is not uncommon again in these prostitution schemes where you pick up the 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 quote unquote johns the people are soliciting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the prostitutes, you say, all right I tell you what we're going to let you pay a fine, do some community service. We're not going to try to pursue like a solicitation charge on you. We but you know we wanted this impact as a deterrent sort of thing. You do some community service, etc. Sure, okay, sure. so that's not an unusual thing. And that's apparently what the prosecution is doing here. They're saying got to do this, but in addition, you know, we need you, you know, you got to plead guilty or at least no contest or or whatever. So, this is the other mind-boggling thing to me. Where does Kraft think this is going to go? So you, you say, no, I'm not going to take the deal. Prove it. All right, so now I assume his lawyers, he's probably got lawyers that he's willing to pay millions of dollars to, and they'll challenge the search warrant and they'll do all this sort of stuff to try to get the evidence thrown mm-hmm. out. But assuming that goes nowhere... Where is this going? Do you really want a trial where if I'm the prosecutor, the first thing I say is, okay, here's government exhibit 101, <laughs> then you play the tape, and there's him, you know? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, so could it be that if he is convicted of a specific
2: charge— Would that change something with the NFL? Is it a matter of trying to negotiate where you can get to a certain point and then there's less punishment, less issues with anything he has to do? Here's,
1: Here's what I think is going on. I think he has attorneys on the payroll... And he is willing to spend anything he possibly can to try to fight the charges before they get to court. My guess is, and you—you've got some, and I'm not no, no offense to the prosecutor there, but you've got some overworked prosecutor sure. in some little right. town, a place in Florida. And my guess is, you're going to have like an army. Of New York criminal defense lawyers that are going to send and they're going to spend, you know, he'll spend half a million dollars filing motion after motion after motion, trying to delay this, trying to fight it, trying to do everything he can to get it thrown out so it never goes to trial. So that's, I think, what's what the plan is now. We're going to fight it. Mm -hmm. If if, in fact, he loses all that and then, you know, on the morning of trial rolls around a year from now or two years from now. My guess is at that point in time, he, he pleads guilty or whatever because, I mean, I, I don't see any way that you let this thing go to trial because then, you know, entertainment tonight is going to have a field day with these, these videotapes. So that, that's what I think is probably going on, that he, he's committed to spending any amount of money possible to try to challenge all the, all the, the legal proceedings before you get to trial. I, I would be shocked if this case ever goes to trial. So, I think that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to fight it now. But, that's, but still, you just got to wonder what he was thinking when he was driving over to this place in the first place. No, I'm sorry, correct me. I know what he was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) You got to wonder what sort of judgment was going into that. But, uh, Robert Kraft, back in the news. Speaking of back in the news, I had an interesting conversation with, with somebody this morning whose daughter just got admitted on the merits. To UW-Madison, we were talking about this college admission scheme, and it's kind of interesting to get the reaction of people whose kids have been fighting to get into the schools they want and how they react to the rich and famous who were creating shortcuts. We'll talk about that in just a moment.
2: Oh, I just cannot seem to get
1: this project done. Hey, look, it's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Think you could come help me? What do I look like, a home improvement expert? No way. I can help you find an expert. Tune into my show each week for the 19th Annual Home Improvement Showcase. We feature several of Southeast Wisconsin's home goods, landscaping, decorating, and home improvement businesses. Get the tips and tricks from the experts themselves.
0: Jeff Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase, sponsored by Adair Floor and Remodeling, Certipro Pro Painters, and Fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin.
1: All right, let's talk for a second about the My Pillow brand pillow, which I've been telling you about for a year and a half now, and this other product they offered, they're called the Giza Dreams bed sheets. Here's the true story. A couple of weeks ago, the folks at My Pillow said, "Hey, we we've got these these great sheets that we'd like you to try out. They're called Giza Dreams bed sheets. Um, They supposedly have the world's best cotton. It's called Giza. It's only grown in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. They said, let us send you some. Try them out. I said, well, fine. I'll I'll try them out. But just so you know, I'm not going to tell people about them. I'm not going to do the commercial if we don't like them. So we got them. Um, my wife and I, we opened them up and we both said, My gosh, these are really, these feel like they're really good sheets. We put them on the bed and we fell in love with them. You know, we've been using them quite a bit. Matter of fact, I need another pair as well. Truly. And and this is the honest to goodness truth. You know, when you crawl into bed, you feel like you're going to be sleeping in the bed that you find in a five star resort. They are that good. I've been using these sheets for a few weeks now. You can too. All you have to do, go to MyPillow.com, click on the Giza Dream Sheet Special, use the promo code WAGNER, or you can call 1-800-953-4163. You will get 30% off and free shipping. 30% off and free shipping. Don't forget to enter the promo code WAGNER when you go to MyPillow.com.
3: I called Mrs. Crane to thank her for trusting metal roofing systems with her new permanent metal roof. I went on to explain how she's going to love her new metal roof, and that the transformation was going to be breathtaking. Well, she put me in my place. Mrs. Crane explained to me that she didn't hire us because of how her home was going to look. She invested in a permanent metal roof because she knew that her husband would never again have to go up and shovel off the roof. You see, she's been trying to keep Jim off the roof for years. and With a metal roof, the snow will just slide right off every few days or so. And he won't be going up there for ongoing maintenance because there is no ongoing maintenance. These are just a couple of many reasons why you might consider a permanent roof over a temporary conventional roof. You can see pictures of homes just like yours with a designer metal roof at our online showroom, BeautifulRoofs.com. Or for a free estimate, call carry Today, toll free at 855-678-ROOF. Remember, BeautifulRoofs.com. Thank you. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So glad to have you with us. All right. It was last week. The story broke of a number of people, including a couple high profile actresses who were indicted. You never want to see your name in a headline that says your name and then the word indicted. It just, it never works out very well. But they were indicted in connection with this massive college admissions fraud. Everybody knows the story by now. What was happening was, you had these very, very rich people who would pay a bunch of money to an intermediary who would get their kids into schools that they wouldn't otherwise get into. In some cases, it was by faking SAT or ACT results. In other cases, it was these elaborate schemes where you had college coaches who were bribed. And what would happen is... Hey, here's what the deal is. I want to get my kids into USC. They can't otherwise get there. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have them pose looking like they're, they're rowing something. And then we're going to create this fake profile suggesting that they're great members of the crew team and what we'll do is we'll pay off the crew coach at the school and the kids will be admitted and then once they get to campus they'll they'll drop crew but they'll already be in and and that's the way these types of things operated and now of course the whistle has been blown on this and you have a number of people who kids who've been who've gotten into school under these false pretenses in some cases some cases the kids may be innocent. That is, they don't know what mom and dad were doing. In other cases, you'll never convince me of that. I mean, seriously, if my father said, here, um, I I want you to pose in this shell and pretend like you're rowing, and I'd say, well, why is that, dad? I've never rowed in my life. Oh, don't worry. I just, you'll never convince me that some of the kids didn't know this was going on. But in any event, there's a number of students who got into college under false pretenses. All right, so here's the fundamental question, and let me share with you something that's in the New York Times today. The many students enmeshed in the college admission scandal that was unveiled last week now face a reckoning as universities seek to determine what should happen next. The University of Southern California said it had identified six current applicants associated with this bribery case and would reject them. Okay, so that's easy. They find, all right, these are people who have applied to come in, and they're, you know, part of this bribery ring, et cetera. We don't have to worry whether they knew about it or not. We figured this out. Boom, they're gone. The school says it is an informed and additional number of enrolled students that have been linked to the scandal that we are going to work to determine and figure out what is going to happen to you. In other words, the question is, Are you disenrolled, that is, expelled? If you've been there, what if you've been at Yale? And keep in mind that this this scam had been going on for a number of years. So there's some kids that got in a number of years ago who've now graduated from college that they wouldn't have been able to get into legitimately. But what do you do with the kids who were admitted under false pretenses, who are in and have been doing the work? So what do you do about the kid that got into USC, for example, two years ago as part of this bribery scam? If they had caught it then, the kid wouldn't have gotten in. But the kid got in. And for the last two years, the kid has been attending classes. The kid has been maintaining whatever grade point average you need. The kid is on track for a degree. What do you do with the students that were admitted under false pretenses but are there and are doing the work? 414-799-1620. 4147991620 like i say the kids who you know haven't gotten in that's easy you say no but what about the kids that did get in does it matter whether they knew or not how do you determine that or should you just have a blanket rule saying hey you were admitted under false pretenses i don't care if you're a year away from graduation you're gone How should the school react? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a minute, and also share a portion of a conversation I had with somebody whose kid just got into UW-Madison on her own merits. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Dave and Racine. Hi, Dave.
2: Greetings and salutations. Same to you, sir. Well, uh, my thought is, hey, just uh, let the kids uh, stay in if they do the work. Uh, whatever. I mean, they got it. they're they're indoctrinating people with their uh, with the political correct stuff like uh, toxic masculinity and white privilege. So they they're they're completing that mission, and then it's no different than some of the other, uh, you know. Uh, Okay. So called legal scams well, like uh, but, affirmative action. Okay,
1: but l- well, let, let, let me stop you. Let us say that somebody, I don't know, I'm working for your company and I embezzle, uh, I steal $100,000 and you don't find out right away that I've stolen $100,000. You find out six months later and I've spent 50 grand of that 100 grand. I've got another 50 grand left. Do you think I should be able to continue spending that money or should I have to give it back to you?
2: Uh, well, you're dealing with, uh, well, th- th- one, you're considering it is a crime, you know, but, um, the thing is, the, uh, basically the same kind of scam is run in a myriad of ways, uh, Affirmative action legacies
1: uh, well, contributions. Mean, so well, I but mean, this is. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, Dave. This is. I mean, there. I mean, look. You you can argue about legacies, the the, leg, the the fact that you know your dad and your granddad went to the school, so you get admitted. Okay. You can argue about like the legitimate stuff, like hey, I'd like to donate two million dollars so that you can build a a wing onto the the film school all right, you know, we're going to let your kid in. All right, but at least the university knows that's what's going on. In this case, the university didn't know that the crew coach was taking bribes to represent that these kids that were coming in were going to row crew when they had no intention of rowing crew. Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey,
2: Jeff, how you doing?
1: Good. What do you think? What should happen to these kids? Boot
2: them out. I mean, bottom line is, it, it, I mean, you know, if, if they if – they, had the quality to be able to earn it in the first place, they should have been able to get in on their own. I mean, it, I mean,
4: yeah, yeah, I, yeah I mean,
2: no I, argument for it. I don't, I mean, I like your analogy with the, you know, with the paying the $50,000, you know four hundred thousand right. and whatever and you got fifty thousand left,
1: well it's just fine, finish spending it. Oh. <laughs> well, well right. No, I see I I I agree with you and, and see I'm, one of the things some of these schools are apparently gonna try to decide whether the kids knew or not. I don't care. That to me that's not the test. They you know what
2: it sucks it sucks you, you know what? Then They can look at their parents in the eye and say, thanks
1: a lot. Right. Exactly. You're the one. No, thank you. You're the one that's done this. Look, I I, I was talking to this this lady today. Her her daughter is graduating in the spring um, from a local high school. She wanted to get into Madison. She's gotten into Madison, but she worked her butt off. I mean, she worked her butt off for the last four years maintaining a high class rank and doing all these different activities. She worked her butt off to legitimately get admitted. And all these people who didn't do that, the fact that, all right, we're going to have these scammers that are going to come in and they're going to take the SAT test for you, or we're going to pretend that you're a volleyball player or a crew player. You got admitted. You got those benefits through criminal activity and under false pretenses. And at least in my opinion, to leave those kids in school is to reward the fraud. And why in God's green earth would we reward the fraud? On top of that, it is an insult to all the people, like my friend's daughter, who busted their butt and who gave up and made all these different sacrifices because, hey, this is what I want to do, and I know to get into whatever school, I know I've got to be on student council, and I know I have to do this, and I know I have to volunteer for these things, and maybe they would have done it anyways. Okay, maybe they would have, but at the same time, they're working their butts off in an effort to try to, uh, again, get get to the prize, and the prize is this college admission. And I understand sometimes it's a rigged system. I, I get all that, but these people got in by virtue of fraud. How can you allow them to stay, even if they're doing the work, because they would have never gotten into the door in the first place were not it not for the fraud? Tony and Waukesha. Tony, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi, Charlie. I agree with you completely. I was just telling your screener that, it would be just like if the police went into a residence and they did an illegal search and seizure. And after they did that search, they found some illegal stuff. They took that to the court, and then they get to court, and the judge says, um, you found this stuff illegally. So everything that you found illegally and everything that happened afterwards gets thrown completely out of court. Right. If the parent did something illegally, every benefit that came from that illegal action right. should be thrown out. Right. including all the grades that they receive.
1: Yeah, I I right I think I I agree with you completely. Right, you wouldn't in, let me take your analogy one step further. Let's say Let's say there's even a challenge to that search and seizure and somebody says, well, okay, um, you know, that the, the heroin shouldn't have been seized. You're, you're, the judge isn't going to say, okay, well, we're going to give the person their heroin back and we're going to send them on their way. That's just not how it operates. Maybe in some cases this will be an unfair result for the rare child who did not know that mommy and daddy were part of this scam. And, again, I continue to believe that that is going to be a rare situation. But if the kids are upset – Well, they should be upset with mom and dad for bribing their way into school. So no sympathy for anybody in connection with this. The people that I feel badly for are the kids who... Again, wanted to go to Yale, wanted to go to Texas, wanted to go to Georgetown, wanted to go to USC, wanted to go to UCLA and ended up not getting in because this sleazy operation, this fraudulent thing was taking spaces that should have otherwise gone to legitimately qualified kids. That's who I feel sorry for. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I understand that in the the era of President Trump, you you have a lot of stories that in the past would have been unthinkable and, and just end up being just strange and bizarre. It is not unusual to have various power couples who are on opposite political sides, perhaps Recently, the most notable one was James Carville, who was instrumental in bill clinton's initial election and was a clinton advisor throughout the the campaigns of bill clinton and into the hillary clinton era and a huge defender in some cases an apologist for the clintons you had james Carville, who was again the clinton person and you had mary madeline who is his wife who was a a prominent conservative spokesperson and remember you'd have if you remember back to that time they would frequently be making like joint tv appearances and they'd be going back and forth and so you'd have this Washington power couple this husband and wife where they were on opposite sides politically and it was kind of it was it was just great theater to watch like i say that was a bit of a rarity because even though if you've been around politics for a while it's not you know, i don't want to say not uncommon maybe it's not necessarily common but there are situations where you have one of the spouses who is of a different political bent than the other spouse, and when the one spouse chooses to be a public figure, what typically happens is the other spouse out of respect or financial interest or just general harmony for the marriage they they, they keep their mouth shut you know they you know you you know perhaps people in the know know where the husband's politics are they know where the wife's politics are but but it's not something that's thrown into everybody's face well this whole Kellyanne Conway George Conway Donald Trump thing is of a completely and totally different dynamic just to review Kellyanne Conway is the long-suffering spokesperson for President Trump she's the White House advisor she's front and center For a lot of the Trump policy. She's one of the people that gets trotted out all the time on TV and she is an aggressive defender of the president. She is married to a Washington attorney, New York, now Washington based attorney. His name is George Conway. George Conway um, has a lengthy and successful history. Of being a, a power lawyer, he was a partner at a big-time New York law firm. He um, has experience with the Justice Department. He and Donald Trump have apparently known each other for years. Matter of fact, um, there's not any love lost between them. He apparently lived in one of Trump's buildings and decided they, they asked him to like be on the you know be on the the board of the condo or something. And he said no. Um, he just he had, he had no interest in doing this. So they haven't gotten along for the longest period of time. And like I say, George Conway is well-known in conservative circles. All right. So now you've got the deal. You've got George Conway, who is well-known in conservative circles, prominent, powerful guy in his own own right. His wife works for the president. And then you've got this particular president. Well, what's been happening essentially since, since the election is that George Conway is one of these Republicans who doesn't like Donald Trump. All right. And he has made no secret of it over the last couple years. Donald Trump, as we know can't ignore people. He he just my advice a long time ago, and not that the President cares what I think about this, my advice about a lot of this stuff is rather than engage with people who take shots at him on Twitter or whatever, it would be, hey you won. You're the President of the United States, what do you care about whether or not somebody takes a shot at you or not? My response would be let it go. That is not the Trump philosophy. The Trump philosophy is to let nothing go. And so over the course of the last couple of years, you've had this this back and forth, which is heated up from time to time between George Conway and the president. Conway will criticize the president and the president will respond. And so they tweet back and forth. This this is now really that the pot that has been boiling for a long time has boiled over. Um, yesterday, President Trump called George Conway a total Loser, a total loser. Um, Let's see. Then there was the campaign manager for Trump's campaign who tweeted out Monday. We all know that President Trump turned down Kelly, Mr. Kellyanne Conway. That's what they call him for a job he desperately wanted. He barely worked at the Justice Department and was either fired or quit didn't want the scrutiny. Now he hurts his wife because he's jealous of her success. The president doesn't even know him. And the president then responds, Conway then responds by saying, congratulations, you just guaranteed that millions of more people are going to learn about narcissistic personality disorder and malignant narcissism. Great job. And then, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. But this is a continuing a continuing example of the battle between the the two of them. And meanwhile, you've got, in this case, the the wife, Kellyanne Conway, who's kind of in the middle of all this. You've got the husband who's going after the boss. You've got the boss who's going after the husband. And you've got the wife who's the prominent White House advisor. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right, here's here is my question. Should George Conway, that's the husband, should he just shut up? Now, obviously, he's entitled to his own opinions. But in this case, his wife is employed by the President of the United States. Is it unbecoming for Conway, George, to decide that he is going to I don't know, essentially be the anti-administration spokesperson or given the fact that his wife is in the middle of all this, do you think he should just let it go, at least while she's working for President Trump? And I, I understand it's difficult for any of us to put ourselves in a position, and this is the President of the United States, so it gets more attention, but let's say that it's, it's something similar. Your wife is working for Gru's widget company. You don't like Gru. All right, what do you think? Do you think it's appropriate for you to pick a public battle with the, in that case, the owner of the company that your wife is employed by? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: We're back. I don't know about you. I could never do what George Conway is doing. I mean, if my my wife were working for someone, even if I couldn't stand that person, um, I I might privately be encouraging her to to quit, but that would be a private thing. As long as she was the public face of that particular employer, I I wouldn't be publicly taking shots because it, it serves, it seems to me, to embarrass her and make her life more difficult. So... I I also, I mean, as I've said a long time ago, I think President Trump's administration would be a lot more successful if he could just resist the urge to, to punch down, to, to tweet back at anybody who attacks him. But from the perspective of the husband, I don't know about you, I just couldn't do it. I, I, I would not be able to do that. If my wife was working for a complete and total jerk, and, and she, she hasn't. I mean, her former employer was just the greatest guy in the world. But if he wasn't the greatest guy in the world, I wouldn't be on the radio, you know, trying to pick a fight with the person. I might be saying, hey, maybe you don't want to work for this person, but I, I couldn't embarrass her publicly. Let's talk to Kathy in Waukesha. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, I
4: just think it's kind of all three of them. I think Kellyanne to some degree signed up for this when she decided to be the spokesperson for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I think Mr. Conway um, maybe feels like he doesn't have anything to lose politically or financially. And, hey, it's America. You can clearly say whatever you want. Um, I think it's kind of tacky because his wife is such a high-profile political figure. Yeah, Yeah, tacky
1: is a good word. Tacky, and the whole thing is kind of, yes, tacky, I think, is a good word. Maybe that even under-undescribes it, but yeah, it's it's tacky. Why, and I guess that's what I'm having trouble getting past.
4: Right, it seems weird. And thirdly, the third player in the scenario is Mr. Trump, and I think it would be really great if he took that time that he spends on social media and maybe, like, ran the country and... And became a beacon and emblem of the free world.
1: <laughs> right. You know, it's, I've been trying to think, this is, did you, do you remember the, the like the James Carville and the Mary Madeline stuff, you know, when they used right. to go back yeah. and forth? It, yeah. Neither one, I mean, First of all, Carvel wasn't a part of the administration. Carvel was an advisor. And secondly, that was kind of, that give and take was kind of the shtick that the two of them had. And I got the idea, I always got the idea it was kind of an act between the two of them and that after, after the TV show, they went back and they just, you know, had champagne or whatever. I don't get the sense that this is an act. I just think it's, I think like, for example, George Conway and Donald Trump genuinely hate each other.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well- mary and mary and carville you know i i think they were well matched they spoke their minds right they agreed to disagree as humans and as a married couple and they were not vicious from what i remember they had opposing views but it kind of stopped and started there you know
1: right yeah right exactly i mean right i mean that was and again it was the kind of give and take and like i say it was i always that was just kind of their shtick he's a democrat advisor she's a republican advisor boom they're going to go out and they're going to have you know political arguments this is different this is kind of this personal thing and in this case the spouse kellyanne conway is kind of in the middle now you're right she signed up for this and I guess that's the, the other interesting thing. I'm sure there's going to be a book at some point in time because I don't, I don't know how you do it. I, I sort of feel bad for her, except that she's signed up for this and she's getting paid to do this. But how are you in the middle when you've got this volatile boss and you've got this husband that clearly, you know, despises the volatile boss? And, you know, there's always this back and forth and you're kind of in the middle of this. Gary in Sussex. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Gary. Um,
2: this is what I would do. I would tell Kellyanne Conway to go out and rent two uh, samurai suits that these guys are uh, (laughs)
0: the
2: bad suits that they get in there and they start battling it out. Whoever wins, the other one has to give up. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Imagine those guys, you know, bouncing around like a bunch of.
1: Right, kind kind of like kind of like a 2019 version of the Alexander Hamilton Aaron Burr duel, except not with pistols, just with those those giant suits, and you go and yeah. wrestle with each other, huh?
2: Exactly. I, and I, uh, like your last caller said, you know, Kellyanne signed up for this. Right. She could have went out there and been respectful to her husband and said, okay, if it bothers you that much, you know, maybe I won't I won't
0: do this. So
1: right, or but, he could or he could have done the other. I mean, see, and I guess that would be my perspective. It Would be like. Okay, if that was my wife, honey, if this is so important to you, just so you know, you know how I feel about Donald Trump. I think he's an absolute fill in the blank. But if this is so important to you, tell you what, for the next two and a half years, you pursue your dream. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I might write a book when it's all over. I think that's how I would have handled it if I was George. I, I, as a matter of fact, I know that's how I would have handled it just out of respect for my wife. Yeah, Thank so that, you. Yeah. thanks for calling. No, I mean, I guess and, and that's I, you do want to say a pox on all their houses. And I, I understand that this is coming across a little bit as a defense for Donald Trump. And I don't necessarily mean it that way. I'm just more intrigued by the dynamic between the husband and the wife, where you you have, you know, Kellyanne, who's, who's kind of in the middle of this. As a husband, I would not put my wife in that particular situation. Now, again, I I might, behind the scenes, behind closed doors, be saying, how can you work for this guy? Don't you recognize that, you know, you just gotta move on. You gotta be like all these other people. You've just gotta move on. I might, and that might be causing some marital strife, but I, I don't think I could bring myself to try to publicly focus the spotlight on me. And embarrass my wife in that fashion. And and I'm getting some texts. I, I understand he's got a First Amendment right to do it. It's not, it's not saying that he doesn't have a right to say whatever he's saying. But as I frequently make the point, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And as far as the president, I think almost all of us would agree that Perhaps this administration would be more successful, regardless of how successful you think it's been, would be more successful if the president would just avoid gratuitously picking fights with the George Conways or the, I don't know, the John McCain's of the world. Did we mention that Senator McCain passed away, you know, a little while ago? Why we're still obsessed with the late Senator McCain? Absolutely beyond me. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Yeah, it is a weird world. I have a tweet here, Jeff. I don't know about you, but if I publicly disrespected my wife's employer in public, I don't think I would want to go home. <laughs> there is that kind of dynamic to it. Like I say, if I, and by the way, my wife's former employer, she's retired now, but a great guy. I, I has become a very very close friend of mine, and um, he and his wife, great friends. But I mean, yeah, if I decided that I was going to go off on him on on the radio for whatever reason publicly disrespecting him, I, I can imagine going home and my lovely wife would say, well, don't you have enough to talk about? Why would you choose to pick this fight with my employer? Uh, here's another text. I think he's a little jealous and he wants his name in the news too. That would be George Conway. As far as the president goes, I believe he really needs to quit responding to these things. It makes him look like a little kid. He needs to get off that darn social media. Yeah, that's, um, I, I think, there, there is an element to that, but, of course, that's not going to happen. I mean, President Trump believes that reaching out on social media is his way to uh, avoid the fake news and it's his way to k- speak directly to his fans and to his supporters, and it's a way to communicate his most intimate thoughts. And I guess there's an element to that. But at the same time, I guess every time I have a thought – it doesn't mean that I have to express it. There's all sorts of things, I think, that perhaps it is best that I don't share. Melissa, do you have that That time? You know, you, you think of something and maybe, you know, you, you even mean it. But you don't necessarily need to pick up your phone and tweet out that thought yeah. that you have.
3: Well, I think that's just being an adult. I mean, everyone has those thoughts. You just um, right. have a little bit of tact, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to really, put it all out there. Right.
1: Really mad at the paper boy? Didn't get really <laughs> mad at the paper guy? Didn't get the didn't get the paper delivered till eight o'clock this morning? Whatever it is, okay, just. All right, just kind of keep it to yourself. You, 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 you know. What do we talk about this whole oversharing thing? Now, I guess I understand that there are people that just love the fact that the president tweets in this fashion, and I understand that the Twitter and social media it, it certainly does have a role. When you're talking about important stuff and wanting to, you know, bypass the press and make sure, all right, look, this is why I am doing this or whatever. But again, some of the punching down and the picking fights, I just, I think, is a distraction that hurts rather than helps. But um, at, at the same time, I, I just the the one tell-all book that I will be fascinated to read when this is all said and done, whether it's two years from now or whether it's six years from now. I will be fascinated to read the Kellyanne Conway slash George Conway book because, you know, there's got to be a lot of interesting pillow talk that goes on there. Lots of it. Uh, This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stick around. Live from the Annex
0: Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner
1: Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Melissa, would you like to take a guess? This is unfair because, again, I just sprung this on you. A guess at how much they estimated last year's NCAA basketball tournament generated?
3: gosh, I would have no idea. Okay. Drew, would you like to take a guess?
1: Three B as in billion. Eh, No, you're high. But... I mean, high as in a high estimate as opposed to high, like, like high period.
3: No. Was anybody thinking that that you were high? Well, I,
1: I, well, I don't, I don't know. We, we live in the world where president Trump sends out these tweets and stuff. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want, I did not want somebody saying, okay, no, I thinking that he just called his producer high. No, 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 no. He's no, it wasn't that at, at all. No, here's, here's the number. Um, ESPN. This is ESPN's number. They said that last year the NCAA basketball tournament was expected to generate eight hundred and sixty-nine million dollars. This is and this is just the tournament. So this is and we're and that's not even talking about. Um, that's not talking about like lost productivity for all the people who aren't going to be doing work and are going to instead be watching this. I mean, it, it is a, a big deal. And I think certainly over the course of the next couple days, it's going to be what occupies a lot of people's attention. Uh, many many people in workplaces. Melissa, this is your first year. You filled out a bracket, right? I
3: did fill out a bracket for the first time yesterday. For the first
1: time, okay, right. So for the first time. Mm-hmm. So if Melissa Barkley does it, that means that everybody <laughs> is, is is doing this. But <laughs>
3: well, you know, it's interesting because I was asking other people because I felt like I was the only one that I would never have filled out a bracket before. Um, but there are others out there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not I only too many. Uh, to one. Yeah, <laughs> right, not, <laughs> not, not not too many of them, and we had to we had to kind of Bye. scour the area but First we found time them for
3: everything okay
1: so who do you have winning can uh, we say that winning, or is it,
3: yes i mean uh, you know i know last year i do know that villanova did really well last year and they won so i somehow ended up with villanova as the winner again okay i, I don't I, okay. I don't know how that happened but
1: okay no no i actually i haven't for the last couple of years i always used to do that i used to fill up brackets mm-hmm. and i used to plan these things i've stopped doing that for the last couple of years because I was I was really no good at it, just absolutely no good at all at it. And then I'd get frustrated. It's like rumble, rumble, rumble. Yeah. So, so this year I'm going to go to Las Vegas, and we'll actually put money on my different predictions. Well, I'll well, be
3: interested to see how you do out there. Uh,
1: yeah, I've got a system. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I've got I've got a system, and if my wife was listening to that, she's probably going, "Oh, give me strength." He's got a system there, but <laughs> there's I, a method
3: I, to it, your right, madness. Yeah. Well,
1: there, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, as I always say, it is important to have a plan. It could be a crum- Plan, But it's important to have a plan. And yes, I have a plan that I'm going to embark on. Um, whether I share that or not, I, I don't know. But in any event, I, I distracted myself there. Last year, $869 million in revenue generated by the NCAA basketball tournament. What makes the NCAA basketball tournament go? Well, it's the kids. At the end of the day, it's the basketball players. You don't have an NCAA basketball tournament unless you have the players that are playing in the NCAA basketball tournament. There are a handful, and it is a relative handful, of the people that are playing in this NCAA tournament over the next few days who are going to go on and they are going to make an absolute fortune in the NBA. But the reality is, most of the young people that are playing are not Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson is the kid from Duke who's, you know, all world, maybe one of the greatest basketball players of a generation. Yes, Zion Williamson, he's, he's been at Duke for one year because they essentially make him go to college for a year before he can play in the NBA. He's gonna go to the NBA, he's gonna be drafted number one, he's gonna make a fortune, and you assume this could be like the next Giannis, it could be like the next LeBron James. He's a special type of player. But the truth of the matter is, the vast majority of the people that are on these teams at the NCAA tournament, they're not going to play at the next level of basketball. They're going to, you know, get their degrees and then they're going to be working, you know, as accountants, and they're going to be maybe going to law school and they're going to be selling insurance and doing all those things. They're not going to get any money out of of this. They do get their education paid for, and their education is a big deal, and they get, you know, room and board. But that's a fraction of what the NCAA and the member schools are going to make on these different activities, which brings me to Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale, who is, of course, you know, one of the commentators forever on ESPN, you know, he he had some interesting remarks the other day, and I'm kind of looking at what he said. He said, take a look at Zion. Why shouldn't he play and get paid? It's a cesspool. Guys hustling kids, hustling um dollars. Let me tell you, we can solve all the problem. We should let kids get the money. We should let NCAA basketball players make appearance. We should let them endorse products. We should let the kids be able to benefit. And if you allowed the kids to economically benefit, he says what this would do is it would take a lot of the cheating out from the the game. It would take out the secret payoffs that some coaches make to try to get the best players. He's essentially saying there's all this money that's involved in the NCAA, and what we need to do is we need to figure out a better way to share that with the kids. And the argument is essentially that, hey, you know, we we think that the kids – In this case, the student-athletes or the athlete-students or the athletes, however you want to look at it, I mean, they're the attraction. Why should they get a college degree when only a college degree, and in some cases it's not even that, if they drop out or whatever or they lose their scholarships, why shouldn't they be entitled to be paid? 414-799-1620, Four one four seven nine is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, on the eve of the real start of the NCAA basketball tournament, and I know there have been play-in games, you know, yesterday and today, but on the eve of the start of the real tournament, is it time to look at the model and say, you know what, there's so much money involved here that these kids, who are really the product, they should be entitled to more than they're getting, That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to
0: Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. Our number, 414-799-1620. Our first texter says, what is the value of four years of college plus room and board? And my answer would be a fraction of, of what the NCAA and the member schools make on the kids that play basketball, and that's where I I'm with Vital on this one. I have believed for the longest time that when you look at the disparity here, when you look at the the kids that are in many cases coming from abject poverty, certainly not in all cases, but in many cases they are, and sitting there and telling them, okay, well, you can get your shoes and you can get your books and you can, you know, go to school And you can play basketball. And and for a small portion of those kids, yes, they are going to go on and they're going to be extremely successful. They're going to make a lot of money in the NBA or playing in some of the foreign leagues. But that's the vast minority of them. Most of the kids are not going to make their living playing professional basketball. And you may disagree with me, but I think... I think just simply saying, okay, it's room and board and it's the scholarship is completely out of proportion to what the NCAA makes on this. And let's face it, some of these kids aren't there at all. I mean, this, this whole idea that you have to be of a certain age or you can't play in the NBA until, you know, your, at least your high school class is one year out. That's, that's ridiculous. Zion Williamson who is ready to play in the NBA now. I think it is grossly unfair to say that he has to go to college or he has to play in some foreign league simply because we want to protect the college game. As a matter of fact, I think these one and done ball players, the folks that go out and have no, they don't want to be in school. Zion Williams, he doesn't care about being in school. He's just putting in his time for one year at Duke so he can make a bunch of money in the NBA. And by the way, I don't fault him for that. But this idea that we tell him, no, you know, you have to, you can't go to the nba right now you can't take that money you have to stay in college for a year nuts to that i mean if the kid's 18 years old you can sign contracts let them go out and let them make money as far as the schools and i don't care what school it is these schools that are making hand over money hand over fist let the kids do endorsement deals right why what is the harm of that the reality is a lot of the cheating that goes on nowadays, a lot of the payoffs, it's all because we've got this wink, wink, nod, nod system where you have the kids who, who've got the agents or they want the money or whatever, but, you know, they have to do it under the table. Make it above board. Let it all come out and let's pay these kids. And do I say that, you know, you want to turn the college game into a mini version of the NBA? no. But the kids are the ones that are providing these services, and I think they're entitled to be compensated for that. And the idea that they're going to get a scholarship and they're going to get some books, I don't think that comes close to essentially compensating them for what they're worth, I just think it would be a much more honest system if you allowed them to get money. And when you look at what's going on, let's say if last year was $869 this year let's say it's $900 million in revenue just from the NCAA tournament, why shouldn't that go, at least in part, to the kids who are producing it? I mean, seriously, isn't that what capitalism is all about? This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner, very glad to have you with us. April 2nd will be here before you know it. That's two weeks, right? Two weeks from yesterday, right? Two weeks from yesterday. Why do I mention April 2nd? Well, My guess is many of you do not realize that April 2nd is the general election day for the nonpartisan spring elections in Wisconsin. This is the time when you have mayors who might be up for election. This is the time when you have judges who are up for election. In Milwaukee County, there is a heated judicial race for one of the circuit court benches. Ozaukee County, there is a heated judicial race for One of the circuit court jobs, Uh, the existing judge, who's kind of was always a controversial lightning rod, has resigned. And there's two people running for that. Maybe we'll talk about that more as it gets closer. But the big race that everybody can vote on is the race for state Supreme Court. Justice Shirley Abramson is stepping down from from the court. And this creates a, a vacancy. Um, she has been described, Justice Abramson has been described as a liberal lion. And she's been a reliable li- liberal vote. Right now, the balance of power on the state Supreme Court is there's four conservatives, there's three liberals. That's the way it stands now. There are two people that are running, and predictably, one is an extremely liberal justice, jurist. um, Her name is Lisa Neubauer. She was in private practice. I I know Lisa Neubauer for years and years and years and um, she was elevated to the appellate court bench by Jim Doyle and she is running against a guy named Brian Hagedorn who is a conservative who was elevated to the appellate court bench by Governor Walker. So you you have pretty much of a split. The campaign has been ugly. There, there's no question about it. Um, you, you have the, the left that's decided to attack Brian Hagedorn based on Um, I I think in large measure based on his Christian faith. There's no question about it. This is um, they've cited the fact that oh you know he's responsible for you know uh, starting a charter school um, that follows practices consistent with his religious beliefs and things like that and he's been attacked for that. I I think it's really kind of an unfair statement and really shows where we are in America today where okay for example if, if you have religious teachings that say let's take the whole idea of gay marriage and I understand there's a legal view of gay marriage um, the Supreme Court has decided that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't certain religions that continue to teach that marriage is a union between a man and a woman. All right. That's the religious belief. Now, obviously, that religious belief is trumped by what the law says. But does that mean that people who go to those churches or who've grown up in those churches and subscribe to that? Does that mean that even if they're willing to follow the law, does that mean that they can't hold those beliefs that they've been taught by? You know, through their religion. And does it mean that if they feel that way because of their religious beliefs that they're supposed to be attacked politically, you know, when they run for public office? And that's the type of stuff that's been going on here. Lisa Neubauer is a big time Democrat activist. Her husband was a big time Democrat activist, her daughter's a big time Democrat activist. The family has donated large amounts of money to Democrat causes over the years, and Brian Hagedorn is the conservative. It's going to be interesting to see where this entire thing shakes out, because, again, running as a conservative in 2019 – Well, I I think some people somehow think that maybe you should be embarrassed by that. And there's no question that this is taking on political overtones. Neubauer is supported by the Democratic establishment because she has been part of the Democratic establishment for most of her life. And you've got Hagedorn, who admittedly is conservative, and he was elevated by, you know, Governor Walker. This, again, and we say this a lot with these Supreme Court races, these are important races, because it is the Supreme Court that ultimately decides. And the law, I frequently say this, the law is an art, it's not a science. When you become a judge, whether you're a circuit court judge or an appellate court judge or a Supreme Court justice, you bring your personal experience, You bring your beliefs, you bring your biases to the bench. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just people interpret different things in different ways. Now, one of the reasons Wisconsin, in my opinion, has been able to gain as much as it has over the last 10 years is we have had a conservative-leaning Supreme Court, which has upheld things like Act 10. There's a reason why every time over the Walker years that when there was challenges to laws, they were brought in Dane County. Part of the reason was the people who didn't like the laws, generally people on the left, they went into Dane County knowing that they would find sympathetic figures on the liberal-leaning Dane County Circuit Court because judges are elected County by county, it only makes sense that if you've got a whole bunch of liberals in Dane County, they're going to elect liberal judges. The reason we've had so many gains, the reason things like Act 10 have been upheld is because we've ultimately had a conservative-based Supreme Court, which have kept in check, I think, some of the excesses from some of these certain circuit courts. That that balance is in danger. And liberals are certainly emboldened with the election of Tony Evers, liberals are emboldened with the election of a liberal Supreme Court justice last year, and liberals are emboldened in this race. Bottom line of all this is, I think there's a lot of people that don't even know that there is an election on April 2nd. We always say the turnout is going to matter, and I think particularly in some of these low turnout races, and this is going to be a low turnout race, turnout matters more than ever. I don't know who's going to win this race. Conventional wisdom says, well, if you believe what's been going on in Wisconsin, the pendulum is swung, the conservative movement is dead. I don't happen to believe that. But a lot of stuff is going to depend on, again, who is able to get their voters out to the polls over the course of the next couple weeks, and that's going to be the test. We're going to be talking more about this Supreme Court race because it is so important. But put it on your calendar. If you don't early vote, the voting is going to be two weeks from yesterday. General election is April 2nd. You want to get out and vote. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We are back, so glad to have you with us. Now, Gru, you told me a week or so ago that you you know what your tax is going to be, but you're holding off sending them in because you owe money. That's still the case? Okay, You finish them, but you owe money, so why bother giving the government money before you owe the money to the government? Okay. All right. Smart, smart business sense in in a way. I still don't know where my, what's going on with my taxes because I was good. About a month ago, I got all the documents stationed together, got all the things done, shipped them off to my accountant and, um, hadn't heard from her. Actually reached out this morning and kind of sent her a note saying, yeah, you need anything? And she said, yeah, sorry. I, I had, to, she was like, well, I, I was kind of swamped because I had to do all the business stuff through March 15th. Now I'm turning the personal stuff. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get back to you in the next couple of days. I said, that's great. No, no problem with that. So I don't know whether under the new tax law I'm going to be better off or worse off. I don't know if I'm going to owe. Normally, I, at least I have a rough idea as to whether I'm going to owe money or whether I'm going to be getting money back. This year, I, I, I really have no clue because the tax law ha, has changed, and it's going to be just difficult to figure out. I will say this. Before the tax law changed, when I would do my taxes, my goal was – To essentially get no money back why why no money back well because the way it works is if you're getting money back all that means is that you've overpaid money during the course of of the year and the government is refunding you money it's refunding you that overpayment but it's doing that without paying you interest well, okay, why, why do I, why do I want that? I mean, if I'm going to give my money somewhere, I, I mean, I could put my money in a CD and the bank will pay me a little bit of interest. Admittedly, just a little bit of interest, but I, I, I just, that's the whole idea. If I'm going to give someone my money and let them keep it for a while, when they return it to me, typically you would get interest. So that's always been my goal, which is to, now obviously you don't want to, get into a situation where you owe the government a bunch of money, including owing them so much money that you have to pay interest or penalties yourself. But the idea of getting, hey, you got a couple thousand dollars coming back in a tax return or whatever, that's never had an appeal to me because that means somewhere along the line I screwed up, I paid too much during the course of the year. Now, like I say, I don't know where I'm going to be this year. But after I see the way this year shakes down and how the new tax law kind of affects me, I'm... I'm going to be in a position to, to know and maybe make some adjustments for next year. One of the things that we have seen happen so far this year for the people who have gotten tax returns, what they found is that the tax returns are perhaps smaller than they thought they were getting. Now, there is a reason for this, and the reason in many cases is that when they changed the tax law last year, they lowered a lot of people's taxes and that employers, once they got the new tax tables, employers stopped withholding as much money. And my guess is for a lot of people whose tax situation did not change dramatically from year to year, in other words, you didn't have a substantial bump in income or whatever. If your tax refund is lower than last year, all that means is you didn't have as much money withheld from your check so okay maybe maybe they took maybe you get paid twice a month, and they took twenty dollars less out of your check every month every you know that those two occasions every month, so okay, that's forty dollars a month times twelve four hundred and eighty bucks, so if your tax quote unquote refund is five hundred dollars less it doesn't necessarily mean your taxes were higher; it just means that you got that money back during the course of the year you've already gotten it now maybe you didn't notice it, and you went ahead and spent it but it doesn't mean that you didn't get it back in any event whenever I've talked about this I always get some feedback from people saying Jeff I kind of understand what you're saying but you know what I still like getting that big tax refund I would rather have it all at once at the end of the year I'd rather be able then to use it as a big ticket thing. When I, I'd rather like do those taxes or I I do them or I have somebody else do them and I find, hey, I'm getting $2,500 back. I'd rather have that $2,500 all at once than I would have 200 bucks a, a month or $100 a check because I lose track of it. If I get that $2,500, well, then that's real money, and I can go out and I can spend it and I can do something. I can use it towards, I don't know, the new furniture, or I can put that as a down payment on the roof or or whatever. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I don't know that there is a right or wrong answer to this, but I am curious Would you rather get a large tax refund at the end of the year? You know, you get that one big check back, so then you've got some real money that you can spend, or would you, again, rather have it rationed out over the course of those 12 months? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it better for you to get it all back in one check, after you file your taxes, or to get no tax refund at all, understanding that what that means is you probably got it during the course of the year. What do you prefer? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to take your calls. Here's
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I'm looking at this study and it says that about seven out of ten Americans who file taxes, 70% of people get refunds. And, and they like it that way. And what that means is you've made an interest free loan to the government over the course of the year. But people love the emotional thrill of, of, you know, doing their taxes or having somebody do their taxes and then finding, hey, I, I'm getting $3,000 back. Julie in Milwaukee, Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
4: Hi. Good. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, Julie. What do you think? Uh,
4: yes, I would like to. Uh, I I like it every week instead of at the end of the year because I never know if I'm going to live until the end of the year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like I live for today, and I just think you know having the money today is better than at the end of the year because I can budget better.
1: I guess the the thing is. Would would you notice that there is this rush of, of opening up the mail and there's a check from Uncle Sam to you in the amount of $2,000? There There's a rush to that. Is, that. is that cooler than getting, I don't know, $40 extra a month or something, you know, in your paycheck?
4: Um, you know what? I used to like that rush of having right. it at the end of the year. But as, I, you know, we're getting older, it's like, i rather have it during i just rather have it during the year because like i said we have it in I budget
1: so. yeah and, and, it, and it helps no thanks for call 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line now julie what you're talking about makes sense financially you get it as soon as possible and then you can spend it the the reality though for a lot of people and maybe it's a psychological thing you know if you get you know an extra 25 dollars you know every two weeks that's nowhere near as cool as getting an extra three hundred or five hundred or six hundred dollars, you know, at the end of the year because six hundred dollars is a bigger number than twenty dollars or whatever. But economically, you're you're right. And I guess maybe in a perfect world, what you would do is you take that extra twenty dollars or whatever and you'd put it in a bank account and you'd let it grow a little bit and you'd get some interest off of it, and probably not much in today's day and age. Debbie in Menominee Falls, Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I would rather get it every week than at the end of the year because, for example, I know that my bank, my um, bill is not going to come to this, but my, uh, the electric company is not going to wait till the end of the year for right. me to pay them.
4: <laughs> right,
1: right.
2: So I'd rather have it so that I can. You know, know
1: what's coming up, right? Well, it it just or it, it makes it a little bit easier, right? You've got your fixed Correct. payments, and so if you're getting that money up front, it makes it a little bit easier to pay for that. Even though, even though getting a check for a couple thousand dollars at the end of the year would probably be nice, huh?
2: It would be, but I I just look at it and go. But I could have had this money all year round.
1: Well, that's it. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, that's that's the see that's the balancing, and that's what's so interesting uh, about. This whole idea, because by by getting that one big check at the end of the year after you file your taxes or whatever, yes, you get that check, but you're giving up the fact that you have, in fact, had that money all year round. All right. Here's a text. Jeff. I would prefer to get the larger refund. And actually, this year we made out better than last year because the uh, child care deduction went up. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't know how I'm going to turn out one way or the other. I'm kind of curious to see about this. But my game had always been, I, I, I want to. In a perfect world where I understand tax tables and I have an idea as to what the income is going to be, in a perfect world it would kind of be zero. This year, don't know how it's going to turn out. Kathleen in Greenfield, Kathleen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Kathleen.
4: Um, I prefer the end of the year, and um, I have, since day one, well, since I've been filing, um, I have taken it every year for all my life and put it in the bank and saved it. And I've I've only taken it out once for a car in 50 years.
3: Oh,
1: so you mean your your tax refund. So when you get that tax refund, $800, $1,000, whatever it would be, you put that in the bank in one lump sum and you save it. Okay. Always. It is it just easier for you to do it that way than if you were getting an extra $25 every two weeks or an extra 50 bucks a month?
4: No, I, I just learned to live on what I had for the week. With, okay. With what they took out and uh, just looked, I was thrilled to go to the bank at the end of the year.
1: <laughs> right, right. Okay, well, no, and there, there is, I mean, thanks to that's That is what they talk about, about the I- emotional, that the, that's what they talk about is the emotional rush. Now, you know, Kathleen, if, if you talk to some of these financial advisors, what they would say is, well, you know, Kathleen, it makes more sense to, you know, figure out how much you are overpaying. If you if you got $1,000 back, you know, at the end of the year, whenever you file taxes, you know, that means that you paid, you know, X amount of dollars, what, 80 bucks or so, you know, too much every month. So you'd be better off adjusting your withholding or whatever, taking that extra 80 bucks that you would get every month. And then instead of waiting till the end of the year and having the one big check for a thousand dollars every month you know, or every two weeks, you'd go with your check for 40 or $80 and you'd put it in the bank and that, you know, with interest w- would grow, but that's a tougher thing to do, you know? And by the way, I I just let me take off my financial hat. I don't play a financial advisor on the radio, believe me. But um, it's great that you've been able to save that money because uh, then you get to do buy that big ticket item. I will tell you there's a lot of there's a lot of businesses out there that love the system that we have now because people use use that that check as a form of forced savings. They wouldn't be able to save 40 or $50 every two weeks, but when they get the check all at once, Boom, now you've got this money, so now we can use it as a down payment on the kitchen. We can use it to, as a down payment on the car. We can use it to buy the big screen TV set. We can use it, to, uh, you know, underwrite fixing the roof. A lot of businesses love it. You know, contractors, hey, you need new windows? This is great. You've got your tax refund. That can go a long way towards paying for those windows. Troy in Wauwatosa. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, good afternoon. It's great to talk to you today.
1: Thank you for calling.
2: Hey, one of the things that uh, I know this is probably contrary to what we're talking about, but one of the things I used to do when I was a subcontractor with Wisconsin Electric, uh, I worked so much overtime that I would claim zero for the first seven months of the year. And then the last month of the year, I would claim exempt. So then I would get all my money the whole second half of the year, knowing that I'd already paid my taxes off. So then when Thanksgiving and Christmas came, I didn't have to worry about how much money I was spending. I knew how much I could save. I knew all that money that I was making was coming right back to me because I'd already paid my taxes off in the first half of the year.
1: Yeah, you right, and and again, economists might say, well, you know, you were losing out on the time value of money, but for you, it, it felt good. I mean, it, yeah. it was just right. It felt good. No, I think. I, I, I mean, I see. I kind of get that as a way. I we have a we have four hundred one case here at work. Thank you, Good Karma Brands. And one of the things that I do. Is I am fortunate, and I believe me, I, I am fortunate. But I I try to fully fund the the 401k plan. And one of the things that I do is I front load it. So for the first several months of the year, when you look at my paycheck, it's really not that big. But it's because all this money is going into the 401k plan. Once you hit the limit that the government lets you put in, then then I then I, obviously they stop taking money out, and then you know so I have larger paychecks at the the end of the year. It does. Again, a little bit of a squeeze at the beginning of the year, but the same thing. I just, I like getting it out of the way. I like getting it funded. Bottom line is. Whichever way you do it, it may be a little bit different this year, and you need to be aware of that. I think once more people get their taxes done and start looking at it, we're going to have a discussion as to whether or not the tax laws have benefited you or not. But the bottom line is, if you're getting a huge amount of money back as a tax refund, you might, and I say might, want to think about are you having too much withheld during the course of the year, unless – You don't mind giving the government an interest-free loan and just like that big check at the end of the year, in which case, go with God. We'll be back and find out what John McCure, Melissa Barkley, and Greg Matzik have on their minds. Stick around.